On the night that Jesus gathered around this table in John 13, he was surrounded by those that were closest to him. And on this night, in the hearing of all, he looked to each one and he said, tonight, one of you will betray me. The scriptures say that, as he said these words, he was troubled in spirit. He was troubled because he knew his time had come to go to the cross and die for your sins and for mine. He was troubled because the message of the cross and the gospel was imparted to these ones. What would they do with it? And he was troubled because one among them was walking down a road, destructive path, would lead to his end. Have you ever wondered from the story of Judas, why would a man who spent three years following the master, he ate what Jesus ate, he slept where Jesus slept, he experienced the transformed lives, why would Judas follow Jesus for three years? only to turn away in the end. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13 as we answer that question this morning. Let me just welcome you here to Salem Alliance Church. It's good to have you all. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we are well into a series on the life of Jesus Christ. We've been spending time in this series Looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of those who knew him best. And up to this point, through the lives of individuals who followed him with their whole heart. Well, most of you, if not all of you, know that the life story of Judas is anything but a wholehearted devotion to Christ. But perhaps what you are not prepared for this morning is the life of Judas is also very instructive for us. Those who would say the words in Matthew 10, those are my words. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. If that's your heart this morning, and I pray and hope that it is, Jesus, I want to follow you to the end. I want to live my life for you. Sold out, no turning back, no compromise. Where you say go, I will go. Where you say stand, I will stand. Where you say speak, I will speak. If there's any sense of that in your heart this morning, and I pray that it is, and growing and growing as it is in mine, then there are words from the life of Judas that will help us. Let's pick up the story in John 13, verse 1. And I'm going to read just the portions that relate to Judas's life, so as I, as I move around, just sort of follow with me, would you? Judas' story. Just before the Passover feast, Laura was talking about a minute ago, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world to go to the cross, go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 2. And the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let's skip down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 18, but I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens. Referring to the betrayal later in the night. So that when it does happen, you who will, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And he testified... I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Oh God, use the power of this conflicted story. Use it in our lives that we, we would follow you fully, wholly devoted. The early days of Judas Iscariot are, are very interesting. Even the name Iscariot comes from two simple words, Ish-Karioth. Man of Kerioth. Kerioth was a region in Judea or an area of Judea. Uh, Judas was one of the few of the 12 disciples who actually came from the region around Jerusalem. You might remember that when the scriptures talk about Andrew and Peter and Simon and, and so on, it says he met them around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was to the north and many miles below was Judea. Some historians think that, that Judas was from an, a region near Jerusalem where uh, he, he probably would have been uh, living in a prosperous home, perhaps even a, a son of aristocracy, perhaps close to the inner workings of the temple, perhaps even close to the inner workings of the Roman government. Then we find that Jesus, Judas is named by Jesus among the disciples. Mark chapter 3, you might be familiar with this list. And these were appointed, Simon, James, his brother John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, another James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, this, this interesting pair, Simon and Judas, coupled together. We also read in John chapter 12, Judas had a very interesting role as a disciple, he was the keeper of the money. It was like he was the CFO. It would have put him in close proximity with Jesus. Man of notoriety, perhaps. One that had the inside scoop. 
where the disciples were to go, their activities, how the money would be spent. Well, it wasn't long until his true colors began to emerge. Do you remember this passage in John 6? Jesus says this, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, all of you seated at my table? Yet, one of you is a devil, referring to Judas. That's an interesting word, devil. It comes from, we, we get our English word diabolical. It comes from the Greek word diabolos, which literally means the slanderer. It means uh, the one who would accuse. Something had emerged at this early point in John 6 in, in Judas's life and character where Jesus cryptically, anonymously, but yet directly calls out Judas and says, one of you has turned to the dark side. Now this is where we come in. For years I looked at the story of Judas and perhaps like you, I'd, I'd sort of flip to the next page saying, uh, well, that's not a story I'm very interested in. Uh, I don't know as if there's much there for me to learn other than that was a really bad guy when in fact there is much for us to learn because I see in Judas two very distinct fatal flaws, two very identifiable, tragic, critical mistakes that, that Judas committed that if we said to ourselves as followers of Christ, those who want to, to stay true to the end, if we said to, us, to ourselves, now, if that's where Judas' life led, and those are the things that he did, now I wonder, if I turned it around and flipped it upside down, and I said, well, that's not what I'm going to do. I want to use those things and build two commitments into my life that would help me stay true to the end. Well, that's exactly where we're going. Two fatal flaws in the life of Judas. Well, let me hit the first one. Judas's heart is divided. It's divided with competing loyalties. Well, what do I mean by that? Let's look at uh, the story of, Jude, of Jesus being anointed by Mary. Look at this passage with me in the scriptures in John 12 where it says... Mary took about a pint of expensive perfume. If you read, by the way, in the book of Luke, it says it was made of pure nard. So how would you like that, guys? Go down to Nordstrom this week and pick up some perfume and hand it to your wife. Here's your nard, honey. Mary comes into the room with the pure nard. It was a, it was a precious, precious ointment and uh, perfume that was very costly. She pours it on Jesus' feet, an unusual act, but very appropriate for a Messiah for giving his life for the world. She wipes his feet with her hair. Very interesting act, but again, one so appropriate, Messiah. Judas Iscariot stands up objecting and says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And his motive becomes evident with these words. 
He did not say this because he cared about the poor. He said this because he was a thief. Judas's heart was divided because somehow, like many others in his day, they assumed that if we followed the Messiah who would bring great blessing, his assumption was, perhaps personal fame and fortune will come my way. Judas left himself wide open. You might remember that uh, back in those days, there were four distinct groups, people, sects, they're called, the Pharisees. Those that were committed to the teaching and the, and the understanding of the law. Sadducees, the aristocracy, those that, that kept the temple and all of its activities uh, in their care. You might be familiar with the Essenes, some people think that John the Baptist was among this group. It was a group of mystics. And they would often be found in the hills and in caves, uh, devoted uh, to, the, to the reading of the law and, and uh, a very quiet group. But did you know there was a fourth group? They were called the Zealots. I mentioned to you a minute ago that there was this interesting pair in Mark 3, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. They're paired together, most theologians believe, because they both belong to this fourth sect. This is how it would have played out. Here's Judas and Simon sitting at the back of the room. Jesus is teaching and he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And Judas and Simon are cheering in the back saying, yes, that's why we're here, that's why we came. Let's overthrow the government. And all of a sudden, they hear these words, and blessed are you, peacemakers. Blessed are you, turn the other cheek, times of violence and rest. Blessed are you, mourn. Blessed are you, grieved by the unrighteousness of your lives. Blessed are you, when your lives are radically different those following anything besides me. Judas, Simon in the back of the room. This isn't what we thought it was going to be. This isn't how this was supposed to play out. Judas, personal fame, fortune, political revolt, Unmet expectations, Judas's heart, anything but wholly devoted to Christ. And the, the interesting thing about unmet expectations is it often takes us to very dangerous places. How many of you, perhaps you've been walking with, with God for some time now, and you have said to yourself, this isn't the way I thought it would be. I wasn't supposed to be experiencing this much pain and tragedy. I wasn't expecting that I would lose someone that I loved so young. I wasn't expecting that 
this life of following Christ would entail so much sacrifice. I didn't expect that the words of Jesus demand of me a changed life. This was really evident to me one year in college, my senior year. I was sitting with a friend of mine. We were out on the patio, it was a sunny day. And we began just talking about the interior of our lives, our souls. And I remember he said to me, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I tried Jesus, it didn't work for me. My life wasn't any better. I didn't get any of the things I wanted and a lot of the stuff I don't need. <laughs> I wrote those words down later that day because I found them to be very profound. In that, I found those words to be evident of some very clear unmet expectations. An expectation that when I give my life to Jesus, somehow it makes me better. It makes the circumstances of my life cleaner. Sort of a, a pain-free existence. Sort of a, well, certainly no more trials or troubles will come my way. And we know that's not true, don't we? As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us in this life, many trials. I would say that we're guaranteed trouble. As a matter of fact, I think that's how God does his best work in our lives when we must depend on him. So what is the realistic expectation of what God brings in our lives? He who stands firm to the end will be saved. That is our hope of glory. That is a realistic expectation. That is where Judas took a left turn. His eyes were off of the eternal picture. Friends, the expectation that we have in Christ is one of glory with Him in heaven. It's, it's one of freedom from sin on earth. It's one from taking all of the turmoil, all of the, the pent-up anguish in our souls, not knowing if we're rightly related to God, not knowing how God looks at our lives, wondering what is my standing with God and where is my life going? And it's taking all of that and putting it at his feet and it's him saying to you, he who stands firm to the end might be saved. No, will be saved. That is a realistic expectation. Unmet expectations often lead us to this second fatal flaw. See, not only was Judas's heart divided, his mind was corrupted. It's corrupted by deceitful schemes of the enemy. I'm going to read you Jude, John 13, 3, 2 and 3. So the evening meal was being served, and the devil prompted Judas. Over to verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread. Satan entered him. One of my life verses, Romans 12, 
2 says this. It says, do not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Scriptures go on to say, guard, guard your hearts and your minds. Oh, friends, have you left your mind open to the schemes of the enemy? The devil is a, is a tricky being. He's been defeated at the cross, there's no, no question. And we know his end but he has limited access. 2 Corinthians 4, do you remember these words? The devil blinds the minds of unbelievers. Somehow in the mysterious ways of the spiritual, of the spiritual world, Satan has the ability to impact the mind of an unbeliever such that an unbeliever would say, this Jesus, he's not what I expected. I just can't, I can't get past these words of Christ. He hasn't made my life any better. I'm not getting what I want. Well, there's no political revolt in this. There's no personal gain for me in this. He hasn't removed all of the difficult circumstances of my life. I have no need for Jesus. And the enemy has done his work. The scriptures describe it as a sifting process. We have one of those cool little, little veggie sifters, I call it. Like the technical term, veggie sifter. And you stick lettuce in there and stick it under the water. And the water flows over the lettuce. And this mysterious thing happens. The water goes through and the lettuce stays. And it gets all clean. And out the bottom comes the dirt. And the enemy sifts us. Sticks us in the sifter. And he says, what I hope shakes out at the bottom is you disillusioned with God. What I hope shakes out in the end is you saying, I don't need the Jesus of the cross. I don't need any of that. It hasn't made my life any better. And I am just going to walk my own way. And the scriptures say, broad is the gate. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way. But it leads to life. That's a realistic expectation. That's the truth of God's word. Friends, as you choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life, and as you choose to follow him with your whole heart. Don't give him an undivided heart. Allow him to come. Make it whole. Don't 
Don't give them a corrupted mind. Guard your mind. Take your heart and your mind to him.